The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message by Beth Coppage. Let's turn now to Jeremiah 31, 23 to start our reading. Jeremiah 31, 23. Thus is the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. They shall again use speech in this land of Judah and in cities when I bring back their captivity. The Lord bless you, O house of justice and mountain of holiness. And there shall dwell in Judah in itself and in all its cities together farmers and those going out with flocks. For I have satiated the weary soul and I have replenished every sorrowful soul. After this I awoke and I looked around me and sleep was sweet to me. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and the seed of beast. And it has come to pass that as I have watched over them to pluck up, to break down, to throw down, to destroy and to afflict, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, says the Lord. In those days they shall no more say, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. But every one shall die for his own sin. Every man who eats the sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. Behold, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand and I led them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after these days. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No more shall every man say, shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their sin and I will remember their iniquity no more. So that is one of the most magnificent chapters in all of scripture. It is the new covenant that God's going to establish. Now God, now to visualize that once again, chapter 32, he is going to put into a word picture for the people to get a comprehension of what God is saying about us having a future and a hope and about Israel having a future and hope. So you go from 31, this magnificent chapter that God is going to write his law in my own heart and he's going to internalize my walk with him. It's not going to be something external, the religious show, but internal reality. And then he works it out in a word picture, in an object lesson. God, the great pedagogical father, the one that teaches us like our third and fourth grade teachers. And 32 comes. This is one of my favorite chapters in all scripture. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of Zedekiah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. For then the king of Babylon's army besieged Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the prison, which was in the house of king of Judah's house. And then step down to verse 6. And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you, saying, Buy my field, which is in Anathoth, for the right of redemption is yours to buy it. 
Then Hanamel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court, according to the word of the Lord, and said, Please buy my field that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is yours, and the redemption is yours. Buy it. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord, so I bought the field from Hanamel. Okay, now let's go down to verse 16. He buys this field. He's in the court of the prison, and Jerusalem is being besieged. I love how he talks to God, and it's amazing how respectful he is. It's, it's beautiful. And when I had delivered the purchase deed to Barak, the son of Neriah, I prayed to God, saying, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. There is nothing too difficult for thee. You show loving kindness to thousands. You repay the iniquities of the fathers into the bosom of their children. The great, the mighty God, whose name is Lord of hosts. You are great in counsel and mighty in work. Your eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men. To give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. You have set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt to this day and in Israel, among other men. You've made yourself a name as it is this day. You have brought your people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders and a strong hand and an outstretched arm and with terror. You have given them this land of which you swore to their fathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they came in and took possession of it, but they have not obeyed your voice. There nor walked in your law. They have done nothing of all that you commanded them. Therefore you have caused this calamity to come upon them. Look, the siege mounds. They have come to take the city. And the city has been given into the hand of the Chaldeans who fight against it because of the sword and famine and pestilence. What you have spoken has happened. And we see it. And you have said to me, Oh, Lord God, Buy a field for money and take witnesses? Yet the city has been given into the hand of the Chaldeans. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? Jesus, thank you, nothing is too difficult for you. Thank you, Jesus, that you are in control. You are in as much control today as you were in Jeremiah's day when the city of Jerusalem was being besieged by Babylon. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Still nothing is too difficult for you and that you are in control. Thank you, Father, for the future and the hope that you promise and you have for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, Jesus, would you come and open these words to our hearts? Would you feed us? We're hungry. Would you just let us get from you today what you want us to get? Dear Holy Spirit, would you come so that this morning we might see God the Father, we might see God the Son, and we might see yourself in ways we've never, ever seen before? And would you transform our lives, our minds, our hearts, our souls, our bodies, and our spirits? And make us women on fire for God. In Jesus' name, amen.
in this incredible passage of scripture, this is called the Evangelum of Jer Jeremiah, because at the most, at right at the most difficult point in the book of Jeremiah, when just what Jeremiah had said in faithfulness to the to the people, what God had told him, he shared with others. Um, Jerusalem is being besieged. And so they are lit, raising bulwarks to, to besiege Jerusalem. And it went on for 18 months. And it, at, at the end of 18 months, there's the total destruction of the city and the destruction of the people of God. And so what we have here is while the siege is going on, in chapter 29, God says you're going to be there for 70 years. And false prophets come and say, oh, my goodness, no, it'll just be two-year captivity. And God says, no, they're lying to you. Make houses, build houses, marry, stay there. It's 70 years. You will have to pay for your sin. You will be chastised for 70 years. But I have a future and a hope. There is a remnant that will survive. It will not be the end of you. And if you will obey me, even in captivity, there is a hope in your future. Then in chapter 30, he goes on once again and he said, I will cause you to return to the land. And I will, and this is in verse um, uh, three, I will cause you to return to the land and I will give to your father that I gave to your fathers. And once again, you will possess it. And then in verses five to seven, he talks about the pain that the people of Israel are in. And he said, the men walk around like they're in labor pains and they hold their stomachs and they hold their groins. He said, the pain is incredible, but he said, the end is not yet. There will be a day I am coming. I will break the yoke. I will burst the bonds. You will not be enslaved anymore. And once again, he gives the promise that a king is coming that a Messiah is coming, the end is not yet as they go into captivity. So this is an incredible chapter of, of hope. And he says, I will bring your seed from the east. I will gather you from the north. I will bring you from all over. And I, you will once again live in Jerusalem. He said, I will bring you back. And then he reminds them again in chapter 31. He said, the reason this has happened, it was not my perfect will for you. This has happened. You've gone into captivity because you sinned against me. And you would not listen. You turned your face away. Instead of what is obedience? Obedience is the Hebrew is you turn your face toward and listen. And he said, you've done the exact opposite. You've turned your face away and refused to hear. And then he finishes the chapter with 22 with what is the longing in the heart of God. You will be my people and I will be your God. God is longing for a love relationship, a covenantal love relationship with you and with me. He was longing for a covenantal love relationship with the people of God. Now, chapter 31, this magnificent chapter says this. He starts out again. He reiterates the longing of his heart. He says, at that same time, I will be the God of all the families of Israel and they will be my people. There will be no orphans. There will be no orphans in the kingdom of God. He doesn't want anybody to be without family. God himself will be father. Remember our precious story last year we had that we that came out of, of, um, uh, uh, of the Russian commission, the little couple that went over uh, in like 19, um, uh, oh, 1993, and they went over to Russia. 
And um, they ended up at Christmas time, and they were in an orphanage. And so they shared for the very first time the story of the Lord Jesus and and the, the, the Christmas story. And they shared it with the children and with the staff, and they sat on the edge of their seats. They'd never heard the Christmas story before. And so at the end, the little couple that had come, they had brought things. They had napkins that were yellow, things that they used to make a crash so that each child could make a manger scene, pipe cleaners so they could make the baby Jesus, napkins that would be the cover, and they just had put all that together. So they handed out all their little supplies for the children to make baby Jesus in the manger. And they were walking around the different aisles, and as they walked around, they came to help whichever one needed it. They came to one little child and looked, and there were two baby Jesuses in the manger. And so said, oh, my goodness, this ba- this little six-year-old doesn't understand. So the mom, the wife called for a translator, and he came over. And she said, would you ask him why he has two baby Jesuses in the manger? And he said, oh, yes. So he asked him, and the little boy's name was Mishka. And very thoughtfully looked up, and he said, he went through the whole Christmas story. How Jesus came, how this angel sang, how he was born in the manger. And then he said the wise men came and they brought gifts to the baby Jesus. And then baby Jesus said to Mishka, he said, Mishka, would you like to come and live with me? And Mishka said, I really would like to, Jesus, because I have no mama and I have no papa. But I do not have a gift to bring you. I don't have anything, Jesus. And I couldn't come to your house if I didn't have a gift. It would not be polite. Then he said, I thought a minute, and I thought, baby Jesus looks very cold in that manger. So I said, baby Jesus, would you like me to crawl in that manger with you? I would be very glad to give you the gift of myself. I will keep you warm. And he said, Jesus said to me, that would be the nicest gift, Mishka, I have ever gotten. And then do you know what else Jesus said to me? And the little lady said, no. He said, Mishka, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be your mama and your papa. And that's what God's talking about here. I will be your God and you will be my people. That kind of intimate love relationship so that you and I and every single person in all of human history does not have to live alone and not know the reality of his presence. And then 31 spells out what his presence is like. The first one, he says, those who have survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. When Jesus comes, there's grace, even in wilderness experiences. When Jesus comes and I'm his and he's mine, When he comes, there's rest in my soul. When Jesus comes, he says, I draw you with love, with an everlasting love. You want to know how much I love you? I love you this much. I spread out my hands and died for you. This is how much I love you. I love you with everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I've drawn you to myself. I love you, he says to the people. He said, I want to build you. I want to rebuild you. God is the God of the second chance and the third chance and the fourth chance. He is the God who will always be there if we will turn our face toward him and come back. So he's the God of grace. He's the God of rest. 
He's the God of unending love. He is the God of the second chance. He is the God of joy. When Jesus comes, what happens? We pull out the tambourines. We pull out the songs. We pull out the music. And we have a party because of the living presence of the personal Jesus in our hearts. He said, I am the God who can plant you so that you have a purpose and that your purpose is fruitful and your life counts and you just don't go through life wandering around in a maze. But God gets you so you and I are planted and out of our lives there is fruit. He says, I want the watchman to go up into Mount Ephraim and let him call and say, arise, let us go to Mount Zion. Let us enter into a covenantal love relationship with the eternal God. It doesn't get any sweeter from that. And then he goes, sing. He says, sing, because who is going into the presence of God? Who is allowed to come and enter into the covenantal relationship? The remnant of Israel, anyone that will come. But usually it is just a remnant because our hearts are so hard. And what does the remnant look like? I love it. I love it because everybody qualifies, even myself. He says, behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the east. And who's the first on the list? The blind. Those that can't see. And when Jesus comes, the first thing he does is open your eyes and my eyes. So realities we have missed for a hundred years, all of a sudden we begin to see. He opens my eyes so I don't just look here or look inside, but I can look up and I can begin to see things as he sees them. The blind will be there, the lame. How often we go through life and I think I just am so lame. The lame will be there. It's not in my altogetherness, it's in himself. The lame will be there. And then, in his infinite love, who's going to be there? The mama with child. His face and in supplication. Same God. And he will turn his face and he said, you are going to come back, Israel. You are going to come back into my presence and I will be a father to you and you will be my children. Do you know what? He said, and then I will establish a new covenant in your heart. Because I will be your God and you will be my people. And it won't be a list of do's and don'ts in your religion. But do you know what it'll be? It'll be his presence so sweet in my life that he will live out his life in you and me. And there will be a capacity and a grace in us to begin to have godly responses instead of ungodly responses. So that you and I can begin to see what God does as, as life hits us. He can begin to transform our lives. And he said, no longer will we have to say, no, the Lord, because the day is coming. And this is even more future when he comes back and they will all know the Lord. They will know he's king of kings and Lord of lords and every knee shall bow. But at that point, it will be too late. We can't make a decision then. We have to make it now. Now, I want to ask you today, are you in a covenantal love relationship with Jesus? Do you know him all the way? Are you holding back any part? Now, he says this in these two chapters and really those three chapters. He's, he spells out to them what he's longing for and that love relationship. But then he's so good, he puts it into the nitty gritty of a personal illustration. So he, he illustrates what he's going to do and the incredible future that God has for those of us who will trust him. And in chapter 32, what does he do? He comes to Jeremiah. Now, where is Jeremiah? <laughs> he's in prison. He's in the court of the prison. 
And Jerusalem is being besieged. So they're setting up mound works. Nebuchadnezzar's outside the wall of Jerusalem. Jerusalem's being besieged, and Jeremiah is in prison. And God's telling all these great things he's going to do, and there Jeremiah sits in prison, and the city's being besieged. And then God comes to him and says, Jeremiah, I want you to buy a field. Your, your cousin's coming tomorrow, and he's going to offer you a field, and I want you to buy it. So sure enough, his cousin comes the next day and says, Jeremiah, word for word, please would you buy my field that is in Anathoth? And that was his hometown, remember, three miles north of Jerusalem. And so Jeremiah took that as the second witness, as this was the will of God, which is a very interesting thing on discerning the will of God. Sometimes when you feel God is impressing you as to something you need to do, but you're not quite sure of which way to go, you can wait and say, God, I'm willing to do it, but could you just give me a second witness that this is exactly what you want me to do, especially when it's something you don't quite understand. So here's the second witness. So he says he knows it's the will of God. So he buys the field. And then it's very detailed as to how they come to the prison. They go in the court of the prison. They measure out the money. The field costs 17 shekels. Then he gives the deed to Barak and has him put it in an earthen pot. And then he's to take it and store it until until they can possess the field. And it is a sign that once again the people will return and once again they are going to possess land and houses and fields and vineyards will be bought in the land. Now Jeremiah obeys. That's the characteristic of this faithful man of God under incredible pressure. But then he gets he asks God a question, <laughs> which is very comforting. Because sometimes when you don't know quite what God is doing in your life and understand quite how he's working. So he says, God, and he's so respectful. Nothing is too difficult for you. And he said, you're great and mighty. And this has happened because of our sin. But he says, pardon me, God, look at the siege mounds. They've come to take the city. And look at me. I'm in prison. Are you sure I've understood you right? And God says, yes, nothing is too difficult for me. And this is not the end. This is the beginning. The best is yet to come. Hold on to me. And do you know what? So often, you and I in our walk with Jesus, Jesus gives us promises and the word says he can work, and then life comes and hits us, and then it hits us under here and over, and we think, ah, oh, this isn't what I expected. Oh, how did life get out of control like this? Oh, I thought you were going to work this way, God, and you're not. What's happening? And then God comes with his promises, and you think, Lord, do you see where I am? And he said, I see where you are. But the end isn't yet. Hold on to me. You've got a future and a hope. And I remember one of the sweetest stories I heard. There was a young couple that were married. They were both Christians um, when they got married. And they were married 12 years and had never been able to have any kids. 
and um, the young husband prospered. They, they were business people, prospered, and um, did very well in his line of work. And after about 12 years, though, the little wife found out he was having a number of affairs. And so, and he left. He just left home. He said, I don't love you anymore, and I'm just leaving. Well, she didn't know what to do. So she, um, her mother, her mother and her mother-in-law were godly little women. So they went to prayer, and they prayed. Well, he did. He left home. So the little wife moved in with her mother-in-law. She ran a Christian bookstore, and they held on together for this son and husband that Jesus would bring him back. And um. And she said, I said, well, how did you survive? She said, I, I was too distraught to read the word. But I, I played scripture on my tape recorder almost day and night. And she said, scripture nourishes faith even when you're unconscious of its presence. So she said, I, I lived in the word. And I, and I, I lived in prayer. Well, he came home. So she was thrilled. God answered prayer. But then, a little while later, he left again. He said, it's not going to work. It's all over. I'm through. So she just kept holding on. He went back into immorality. And the people in the town loved her. And they said, just get rid of him. And she said, well, I can't quite yet. God keeps telling me to hold on. The end isn't yet. So they prayed. She held on in agony because there's nothing more painful than a violation of covenantal marriage vows. That's why God keeps our sexuality in such, our human sexuality and marriage vows he keeps them with such sacredness because what happens is the fragmentation of the human person when they're violated. And they are the, that is the ultimate lesson to show us what God wants to, with us, the intimacy of a love relationship with himself, to know and to be known. So she held on. One day in prayer, Jesus gave her a potter's field. He was living with another woman. And she read Psalm 113. And it said, Blessed is the barren woman. She will be the happy mother of children. And God quickened it to her heart. And she said, You can't mean me. He said, Yes, I do. She said, oh, I, don't, I just can't take that. And I can't remember the second witness he gave her that it actually was for her. But she claimed it. And she said, Lord, I don't have enough faith to claim this without a visual picture. So she said she went out to a store and she bought an orange maternity dress. Absolutely the brightest orange and the biggest color you could see in the very biggest size. And she said, I took it home and I hung it in my closet so the devil could see it. And so I could see it. And I put Psalm 113 on front of it. And she said, Lord, this is my potter's field. Don't you see? I want to say, look at the siege mounds. 
don't you see he's over here? And she said, but God says no. And she said, I'm looking in that closet that someday God is coming and God is going to move in and save my situation, save my family, save my home. And do you know what? He came back. And she's the mother of three children that are now grown. And what God is saying to you today, there have been periods in my life that have looked so dark. And I've thought, God, it's over. (laughs) It's over. Pardon me, I don't know what you're doing or where you are. (laughs) All I can see is siege mountains. Those little verses sound nice, but you don't know where I am. And he goes, oh, yes, I do. And I remember one time feeling so in despair. And I remember going into Lexington when we had McAlpins. And do you know what? There was a Beatrix Potter cup that by a little china cup that was half price and then 25% off. And the Lord said, that's your potter's field. Take it home and believe me. And I wonder today, if there may be some impossible situations in your life that got you say, the siege mounds, I'm in prison. What am I ever going to need a piece of property for in my hometown? I am dead meat. It is all over, God. Can't you see the writing on the wall? It's over. It's over. There's no hope. And God says, wait a minute, and this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. And what God is looking for today is men and women and children who will just hold on to God and claim the possessions that God has given to you, not physical possessions, but the things that are on your soul, for family, for extended family, for ministry. I don't know what he's saying to you today, but you say it's hopeless. And God is saying it is not hopeless. Will you hold on to me and get yourself an orange dress, put it in the closet and say, God, I am one of the remnant. I believe, I believe, I believe. I will not let you go. Even if I perish, I will not let you go. And that's exactly what Jeremiah did. He didn't let him go. He didn't let him go. But the question is, it gets tough and it gets hard and life gets hard. And you begin to move into spiritual realities and begin to move into spiritual warfare. And it gets difficult. And God says, will be there anybody there that will fight? Will there be anybody there that will hold on? Or will you all just capitulate to the enemy and be lost? Is there not a Jeremiah? Is there not an Elijah? Is there not an Ezekiel? Is there not a Hannah? Is there not a Deborah? Who says, God, I am standing in the gap. I will not let go. If I die, I die. I won't let go. And I don't see that kind of reality in us as a church. I don't see that in American Christendom. I believe Monica should tell us from Zimbabwe. I believe some other places of the world, they have that radical kind of Christianity because they come to the end of themselves and they're not looking for other answers or how to get out of our pain or how to make myself feel better. But they're coming and saying, God, I throw myself into you and I will not let go till you come. And that's exactly what Jeremiah did. 
and he is a testimony for all of us. And do you know what it says? It ends in this evangelism. He came. In chapter 33, the Lord our righteousness, the branch of righteousness, Jesus is coming. And Jesus is coming. The end isn't yet, no matter what our situation is. Jesus is coming. He is coming. And it's if we can hold on and believe and not let go till he shows up and not capitulate. I remember when I was 15 years old, my daddy was in grad school and we went. I had four different high schools. I went from a private girls school in New York State with 325 children from kindergarten through senior through senior. And then I went to a school in Framingham, Massachusetts, where there were 3,225. And they had split sessions. And I was like the 3,225th kid. Came in in the middle of the year. And it was trauma, as you can imagine. Well, my daddy took me to school the first day. We had just arrived in Massachusetts and the night before. I knew no one. He took me, and it was split session, so I went at like 2.30 and was to get off at 6. And um, so we, he enrolled me, and we did all the things. And then he said, now, honey, do you know how to get home? And I said, Daddy, I am 15. <laughs> of course I know how to get home. And he said, well, are you sure? <laughs> Dad... Well, I came out of that school, what, about quarter of six? I walked out the front door, absolutely alone. You know how many would have noticed me. And I must not have had a dime to my pocket. I'm not sure I remembered our new telephone number, if we even had a telephone. And I looked to the left, and I looked to the right, and I did not have a clue where to go. And there is a beautiful passage in, in this, in Jeremiah 31, set up signposts and make landmarks. Set your toward, heart toward the highway, the way in which you want to need to go. And so I looked, and I just started walking. And I walked, 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 and it got darker and darker, and night came, and I got afraid, and I didn't know who to stop and ask, and I couldn't call, use the phone because I didn't. we didn't have a number. I didn't have any money. So finally I sat down on the side of the road, and I had no cockiness left in me. And I sat there, and I said, Oh, Heavenly Father. My father wondered if I knew how to get home, but I said, Oh, sure I do. I can do it myself. After all, I'm 15. But I said, Jesus, I am utterly and totally lost, and I'm frightened to death. Please, could you get me home? And I said, I'm just going to sit here. I don't know what else to do. And do you know what minutes? Minutes. Because our Heavenly Father is so kind, even to cocky 15-year-olds. Minutes went by. And this car went roaring down the street. And I was, I didn't even notice it, but then I didn't notice it because then it went roaring backing up down the street. And I looked 
And my daddy got out of the car. And he said, Becky, what are you doing sitting on the side of this road? And I said, Daddy, what are you doing on this road? He said, well, I made a wrong turn taking these friends home. He said, I said, well, Daddy, I am totally and completely lost. I don't know how to get home. He said, well, I'm here. I know how. I'll take you home. I climbed in the car with my loving earthly father, compliments of my precious heavenly father, and a very subdued college, a high school freshman went home. Do you need to go home? Do you feel like an orphan? Do you feel like no one understands or cares? Do you need to go home? Do you need to let him come and meet you so you don't just give up, but you enter into the sweetest love relationship with God himself that will transform your life and the lives of everyone you know as you become his beach woman, his point woman, to stand in the gap for the world in which you live that no one else lives. Do you want to come home? Jesus, in loving kindness, is drawing you and me to himself. We don't have to wander. Just come. Come to him. Let's just go home. Let's pray. Jesus. Jesus, I do not know how to thank you so much that for letting me come home home, home to you, that you are our home in a mixed up, crazy, turbulent world where the bottom can fall out at any moment, where jobs can be lost or loved ones go to heaven or die or people walk out or our world turn upside down even in an election. That Jesus, you are our home. And Lord, we're lost. We can't find our way. Would you let today being this follow the signpost to come back through the highway of Zion and to come back to God Himself? That we would be your people and that you would be our God. Father, we just want to come home. In your name, amen.